Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick watch and discuss a drive-in double feature. We'll be watching two movies each episode from a variety of genres, including blaxploitation, slashers, late-night comedies, erotic thrillers, jowls, spaghetti westerns, etc., and discussing what makes a good drive-in film. We look forward to having you. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Jim! All right, Jim, so we've got two movies here. We've got Child's Play from 1988, directed by Tom Holland, and Spider Baby from either 1967 or 68. I've seen both. I've also seen 64, which seems just wildly off. Just to remind our listeners, we will be going into the plots of, the, of both these movies in detail, so if you haven't seen them and would like to, be sure to go ahead and do that before listening to us. While I'm not aware of Child's Play being available on any streaming services at the moment, shame on you HBO Max for taking it down, fortunately, Spider Baby is available on a number of them because it's a movie in the public domain, so you can find it on YouTube, you can find it in a colorized version on YouTube, which I can't say I recommend. It's on Prime, it's on Tubi, tremendous availability for Spider Baby. All that having been said, Jim, why don't you take us away? Child's Play, 88, directed by Tom Holland, as you said. Uh, we open with a cop chasing somebody that he calls the Strangler, who's Brad Duriff, down the street in Chicago. Yep. The Lakeshore uh, Strangler, which that's is a it, great yeah. nickname. Yeah, I love it. But uh, Duriff tries to hide or escape, I guess, in a toy store, but he gets fatally wounded by the cop who is Detective... What's his name? Norris? And as the Strangler, the Lakeshore Strangler, is dying, he begins to recite some sort of incantation. As he's doing, he's holding this this good guy's doll which is the classic Chucky doll. Uh, lightning strikes the store and throws the cop clear, and that's the end of that scene, which I, I want to point out is a great opening scene to a movie like this, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's Well, one, we get a pretty awesome explosion with a neat stunt with the stuntman thrown back from it. But even before that, just the whole, you know, the whole shootout with Charles Lee Ray on the run. It's a really, you know, action-packed way to start it off. He uh, His partner, his getaway driver, takes off without him yeah which will be important later yeah i don't know how many serial killers have getaway drivers it seems more <laughs> like a bank robbery thing yeah. but you know whatever and what was the uh getaway driver's name eddie eddie caputo that's it yeah so after this uh pretty exciting frankly exhilarating open opening scene we see this happy birthday banner in front of a window in an apartment somewhere so there's this cartoon on tv of good guys it has this doll in it but then right after the cartoon ends there's a commercial for this doll the kid Andy watching the television is just amazed by it. And uh, and this is the stuff of nightmares, I'd like to point out, this commercial with that giant Chucky costume. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I was going to say... Also, you know, Chucky is a popular Halloween costume, of course. And I've always hated it on anybody other than, like, a child. Because the whole <laughs> point of Chucky is that he's small. In theory, the adult Chucky costume should be, like, this costume mascot. Which is a terrible costume because it looks awful, but that's that's how I feel like this should be, you know, around Halloween time. Well, also, too, before we get too into it, would you say that, like, the Chucky doll, the good guy's doll, is, is kind of like an example of the uncanny valley? Because he looks very human, but he has certain aspects, I guess, of his or f- facial features that are kind of um, exaggerated. I don't know. I never, maybe, I never saw it as looking that close to being human. To me, it's just a doll. It's a little creepy looking because, I mean, dolls can be creepy looking. But... Mm. Well, either way, it creeped me the hell out and I don't like it. 
But uh, yeah, so Andy is, I guess, really pining for one of these dolls. And he looks over and he thinks he sees one wrapped up for him because it's his birthday. So Andy wakes his mom up and he's disappointed when he opens his present. Uh, he makes because... her the most disgusting <laughs> breakfast you've ever seen. <laughs> no, that's the best breakfast. I was, I actually he had pour, that in my he notes. pours like he pours like Fruit Loops into a bowl and then multiple spoonfuls of sugar <laughs> yeah. on top of it. And he burns. He also the toast forgets and... about the toaster, so he burns the toast to hell and then puts about an ice cream scoop worth of butter on it and doesn't <laughs> spread it in any way. I know it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I had in my notes best breakfast <laughs> ever. Oh no, that's um... nasty. And I love how his mother's like, "Oh, this looks great. I'll eat it later." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, yeah, so he wakes his mom up and she takes him into the living room and uh, he's a little depressed because when he opens his present, it's not a it's not a good guy's Chucky doll. It's a it's a it's a toolbox from the show or something. Yeah, it's like that. it's a utility set for yes. the good guy doll, but he doesn't yes. have the good guy doll yet. Yeah. Uh, I would also like to point out this movie takes place in Chicago, a city that I'm very familiar with, living about seventy miles north of. I mean, this is probably true of any city, but especially in Chicago, this apartment. This is a single mother. There's no way in hell. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, like, yeah. a couple shots we see of it from the street, it reminds me of some of the buildings on Lakeshore Drive. I don't think that's actually where they shot it, but either way, gorgeous apartment building. It's an mm-hmm. old building. We know that from the elevator. But there is no way in hell a single mother working just at some department store could afford to live Exactly, there. yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, I was thinking that throughout the whole movie, to be honest, but I just, I, I completely forgot about it until you brought it up. But, uh, and they they also never, I don't believe they ever mentioned why she's a single mother. They don't mention the father in any way, do they? No, I don't think so. I, I kind of like that. They don't need to. I on the wall somewhere. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. I don't remember that. I only saw it when Maggie was in the apartment. Anyways, yeah, I'd have to go back. But anyways, uh, luckily for Andy's mom, who's named Karen, at this department store that she works at, uh, her friend spied a bum in the alley uh, with one of these dolls for sale. So, uh, yep, it's a previously opened box yes. because the box has some, you know, in the words of Alan Partridge, there's some superficial damage to the box, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just like the chocolate oranges. But but yeah, uh, so he tries to sell it for 50 bucks and they negotiate him down to 30, I think. Yeah, yeah. and her friend Maggie wants 10 for it or something like that. But Yeah, uh, also, but Karen... again, this doll, this let's talk a bit about the Chucky doll, which of course isn't a chucky doll this particular doll is named chucky but the doll itself is just it's kind of like those bottles of coca-cola where they just have like names on them you know it's like i, I maybe they cycle through eight or nine names or whoever yeah well, however what, many i was confused because i was like is it is it that you can put like you can give the doll a name no it comes with a name oh I yeah cause, well because in the commercial with that terrifying giant doll and then the actual doll the terrifying giant doll was talking to the actual doll and said and the actual doll said its name was oliver so maybe you're right maybe it just does come with a name and these dolls uh bit into the unrealistic territory at least for 1988 they kind they move their head independently they can like move move their head from side to side and they say three sentences they say you know hi i'm insert name here Mm -hmm. uh you know do you want to play and they say i'm your friend at the end heidi ho and What's the other one they say? Uh, do you want to play with me? Oh, is it something like that? Okay. Yeah. yeah what What if you got a uh, factory defect one that just said, hi, my name is insert name here? <laughs> you think that's <laughs> an option? <laughs> That'd be great. But you know what, though? Like, the more I watched the 
doll and well because the chucky doll now in 2020 is such an iconic thing from movies that as soon as you oh, see it in that opening shot in the toy store with brad durf kind of collapsing all over them like those look absolutely uh-huh. terrifying yeah. So I've got it like Oh, and another thing I wanted to say about them, part of why they're so kind of scary looking is they're huge. We we mm-hmm. see Andy yeah, eventually when he gets it. It is basically the size of him. It's probably if it were to stand on a platform where Andy's ankles are, it would probably be his height. <laughs> These things are huge. Now, do you think they made it like that for the movie so that they could get little people into a suit and do some of the stuff? Um when as we get further along in this movie, I w- we will end up talking about the effects and how they accomplished them, how they accomplished making the doll move. Because I really, I don't think anyone really thinks of this movie as like a practical effects masterpiece. I think when people think of that, they usually think of like the fly or the mm-hmm. thing, you know, movies like that. But the effects in this movie are incredible. I mean, they are as convincing as they can be with this doll. And there are only, a, I think there are only a few shots where it's a little person. Yeah. There I, are I think some, I but it's three. very few. Yeah. And, and they're yeah. always really quick too. Yeah. It's mostly a puppet or an animatronic, you know, an animatronic puppet or whatever. Effects in this movie, incredible. Yeah. And I mean, I'm going to save something for the end, but it's also about how long into the movie it is until we actually see Chucky move move doing his and, thing and I really, yeah and i really like that actually but anyways yeah so karen andy's mom buys andy this doll and she brings it home to andy and he's ecstatic the doll calls itself chucky and the news is on oh, oh yeah the news mentions the death of charles lee ray yes yeah and then it also mentions that they are looking for eddie caputo yes at this point maggie karen's friend is overwatching andy because karen got held up at the department store working in the jewelry section <laughs> mm-hmm. so andy's playing with chucky with this hammer with this tool set that he got for his birthday and we see the doll move his head in this very doll-like fashion mm-hmm. to to the television to the news uh while this stuff about charles lee ray is on television and, and more particularly eddie caputo because he wants yes. because yeah because yeah, he wants to know he where he wants is. his revenge yeah. Oh, yeah. And I guess I never. I guess I glossed over that. But as Brad Dourif, he's been fatally shot in this in this toy store. And before he collapses, he kind of yells at Detective Norris. That, that's his name, right? Norris. Detective. Uh, yes, right, Detective it? Mike Norris. Yes. Yeah. So he yells at Detective Norris that he goes, "I'm going to get you and Eddie, who again, as we mentioned at the beginning, was his getaway driver that left him to die, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he passes out and does voodoo stuff with a doll." Yeah, so I really like this scene because, uh, again, Maggie's watching Andy. And Maggie says, okay, Andy, you know, it, it's it's time for bed. And Andy goes, Maggie, Chucky wants to watch the 9 o'clock news. And she's like, yeah, 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 of course he does. So she picks Andy and Chucky up and she's, <laughs> she, like, forcefully grabs this doll by its arm and it's, like, yanking it around and throws them mm-hmm. both into bed. Then as Andy's brushing his teeth and Maggie's putting dishes away, the TV comes back on and Chucky's on the couch watching it. And, again, we see no yeah, movement. Yeah, I love this. We see no movement. It's just that the TV's on and that Chucky's there. So mm-hmm. Maggie again turns it off and grabs Chucky and kind of berates Andy for not listening to her and, you know, playing pranks on her, essentially. And mm-hmm. uh, there's another great little scene here when as soon as Maggie closes the bedroom door to Andy's uh, room, Andy looks at Chucky and says, I told you she'd be mad if we watched the news or if, if you watched the news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So after Andy goes to sleep, Maggie settled down in front of the TV. Chucky begins to run amok, essentially. He's, we see him very briefly in the background at first. Yes, yeah, he runs He runs away, or he runs past. And then we get a lot of POV shots, which 
I mean, it's a slasher staple, but it's perfect here because it hides the doll. We don't mm-hmm. see the doll really moving clearly until later in the movie, and, and that just is a nice reveal, kind of, yes, yeah, you know, leaving us in suspense until then. So Chucky's running around, knocking things over and shifting, shifting uh, uh, chairs around and stuff. Maggie gets up because she's scared by the noises. She's attracted to this, uh, it's like a jar of flour or, or sugar or something that's been knocked on the ground off the counter. Yeah. So she's in the process of cleaning it up when <laughs> we, when she stands up and we see this hammer come into frame from this, from this good guy's toolbox and it smacks her in the head and she kind of falls backwards through the window of like this fourth or fifth store, uh, story apartment and yeah. uh, she falls out the window to her death. A couple things here. One, I love the shot with her falling. Mm-hmm. like we it's it looks great i mean it must be some stunt woman or something awesome mm-hmm. two this good guy company they apparently sold like real hammers to kids <laughs> yeah, I know. right yeah. and because yeah. it's basically human sized it's basically like a normal hammer size it might be a tiny bit smaller well you know i gotta tell you when i was a kid my dad i guess on mom one year for christmas they bought me like a, a little toolbox and uh, it was some company. I don't remember who made it. But in it was like a real hammer, a dull saw, a real chainsaw. scissors. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But like there were things like levels and stuff and pieces of wood. And it came with nails and a real hammer. Interesting. Um, I mean, I get that. But like this is some utility set that you add on to a doll. It, it has no reason to be a real hammer. <laughs> but oh, I love it. It's, see, it I, doesn't matter. Oh, see, I didn't even think of it in that in that vein of being Oh, yeah. Like, I, I assume the, the hammer is basically just to go in the good guy dolls like overalls gotcha just like hang there well you know patrick it's almost the size of a small child they have to make it as heavy as a small child too i guess i guess (laughs) but uh so karen comes home from work and uh, she comes home to find her apartment both outside and inside full of cops she learns that her friend maggie's been killed or she felt she had a terrible accident yeah before the cops tell her anything is she asks andy what happens and andy said she had an accident and then the cops explain exactly what happened you know she fell out the window yeah exactly detective norris kind of pulls her aside and he's kind of questioning her about andy and about these little tiny footprints on top of the counter in the sugar or flour or whatever it is yeah he says he he didn't find any shoes that matched it Mm -hmm. but when andy comes back they notice he's wearing his good guy pajamas which come with slippers and yeah he looks at those and they match the best part about this scene I mean, the best part about this movie, in my opinion, is the slow realization of every character that something is going wrong. Andy's the first person to kind of realize that the doll is bad, that that Chucky's alive and bad. Well, Um, he knows he's alive. At this point, he doesn't know he's bad. He genuinely thinks it's an accident. Yeah. At this point. Well, because it's right after this scene, which I'm about to get to in a second, when the cops leave... Or sorry, as the cops are leaving, Andy's back in his room with, with Chucky, and he oh, looks yeah. down at, like Ch- at Chucky's shoes, and he sees this white powder on Chucky's shoes. So he comes running out and says, Mom, Mom, I know who did it, I know who did it. It was Chucky. And again, the detective and the mother don't believe him, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. So uh, Karen sends Andy back to his room. But after all the cops are gone, Karen starts to question Andy after she hears him talking to Chucky in his room. And she says, <laughs> this is one of my favorite lines. She says, well, you know, like, what sorts of things has he been saying? Because you've been talking to him a lot. And uh, oh, yeah. and Andy says, he's he like, said oh, yeah, she well, was she... a bitch yeah, who got Aunt, what she deserved. Yeah, Aunt Maggie was a real bitch and got what she deserved. <laughs> Mom is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, I didn't this. say it, Chucky did. Exactly, yeah. She's like, yeah, right. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. So now we're at a point in the movie where the mother thinks her son might be a murderer or something or like or something is 
is completely wrong with the situation. General asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I guess I guess we cut to the next day, and Andy gets dropped off at school. Um, he brings the good guy doll with him. Which... which did you notice in that scene? There was somebody else twice the size of Andy, also carrying a good guy doll into the school. Oh yeah, yeah. The the implication here is that the good guy dolls are like the most popular thing, and I want to focus on this for a second because this takes place in the winter. It's his birthday. Mm-hmm. It's Andy's birthday. That's why he gets the good guy doll. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it a Christmas gift? Like, yeah, this is right around... I mean, this could easily be a Christmas movie. It's not. I think the remake was kind of a Christmas movie, I think. I know it came out around Christmas. I'm wondering if it's, like, it was always written as Andy's birthday, but when they were filming, there just happened to be snow on the That ground, could be it. You know? That could be it. They just... Yeah. Or, well, I, you know, it's Chicago. Maybe this is June. <laughs> but, yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I it would have been neat to kind of be a Christmas movie. Yeah, we need more Christmas horror movies. Yeah, I mean, I totally the ones agree. we have are great, and they're often terrible, but that's why we love them. But. <laughs> so, anyway, so Andy gets dropped off at school with his, with his giant doll, and as soon as his mom walks away, he sneaks back out the front door of the school with Chucky in hand, who leads him across uh, Chicago to a rough part of town. Where... Yeah, he gets on the L and everything. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, when he when he gets off, it's the right by the L station. It's like all homeless people there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this entire time, he's like leaning into Chucky to like hear what he has to say. We don't hear Chucky say anything, and I I just like how that's done really well. Yeah, I, I like that too. And it's again, creepy stuff. It's, well, it's also so like minimalistic. Like you didn't have to do anything with that scene other than have Andy lean in, and that was and that was great. Yeah, yeah. So eventually he gets to this really kind of run down, beaten up part of town. And he asks Chucky, he goes, is this where Eddie's hiding? Who's, again, the guy from the beginning who uh, left Brad Dourif on the street, I guess. Yeah, and um, the the implication here is this is, I mean, this isn't where Eddie lives. This is just their hideaway house. This yeah, is like a safe house where Charles something. Lee Ray would have been had he gotten away with whatever mm-hmm. he was doing most recently. Because it is absolutely disgusting. There's like, there's there's like a couple dozen rats in there. Yeah. We don't see him, but Chucky makes his way into the house after Andy stops to use the washroom in a behind a pile of trash, and he leaves Chucky on uh, on a on a rocking chair. And then when Andy looks back, Chucky's gone, and we have like a POV shot of Chucky running into the house. <laughs> he blows out the pilot light in the oven and cranks the gas. <laughs> so yeah, Eddie, at this point, all we see of Chucky when he's moving is his hand. Yes, and we hear the pitter patter of feet. So Eddie, upstairs, hearing all this commotion downstairs, he goes to investigate, and when he comes into the kitchen, eventually, he fires off his pistol, and the whole house explodes, which is a great shot, and I'm really happy that they shot it with, like, such a derelict house, because I I don't know if it's a set, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was real, and they just, like, put an explosion. I kind of assumed it was, yeah, I I assumed it was a house that was condemned. Especially because, like, in the lots around it, there's nothing. So there's probably, like, some people planning on building something there. But, oh, we need to tear this house down. And director Tom Holland was like, I got you, fam. Exactly, yeah. And it's so great because, like, you see this actual explosion. And then, like, the house cave in on itself. Yeah, God, that was great. Yeah, so then we kind of get this jump cut to Karen walking into the police station. And she's like, I got here as soon as I could. And it turns out they have Andy and Chucky because... Presumably, he was found near the explosion. Yeah, uh, I mean, at this point, Andy is in the vicinity of two of, I mean, this is Chicago, so probably two of the last thousand or so homicides. mm -hmm. (laughs) Essentially, what this scene boils down to is that 
Andy sort of realizes that Chucky's been playing him to do bad things because nobody believes Andy that this that this doll's alive. The police and a psychiatrist feel like Andy should spend a few days or a month or something. I don't know. We're never really told that, but that he should sp- spend some time being observed in like a psychiatric hospital. And I like this scene a lot when it's Detective Norris and Andy's mother in there with Andy. And she's like, listen, you got to stop lying. Actually tell the truth. You know, mm-hmm. you know, Chucky's a doll. Andy says, like, no, the doll told me, or maybe it was earlier, he says the doll told him his name was Charles Lee Ray. I think that was probably earlier he said that. But at this point, he starts yelling at Chucky and starts, like, smacking him. And he's like, come on, you gotta gotta say something. And I found myself in this movie, I would not call this movie a horror comedy. I think it takes itself as seriously as you can with a pretty schlocky premise. Mm Mm-hmm. But I did find myself just chuckling a lot on this most recent watch because, I don't know, there's just something about a kid just smacking up a doll. And and there were other scenes where I was laughing even more. But I don't know. I This, this series eventually got very, very comedic. This one's pretty serious, but it's a killer doll. Like, it's, there's going to be inherently some funny things about it, you know? But uh, there are definitely like some funny lines. Like a little later on when those old people are in the elevator with with the Chucky doll when he's going oh, back yeah, to the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like what he says. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is that like Chucky, Charles Lee Ray's personality can be kind of funny. You know, mm-hmm. he can have a couple one-liners here and there. He's very vulgar, which it's funny coming from a, a children's doll. Yeah. But overall, the movie, the plot and everything is still pretty serious. I like that. That's yeah. what makes this movie great for sure. Yeah. So anyway, so Andy's essentially taken away to this psychiatric hospital for observations and whatnot. And uh, his mom takes the Chucky doll home, which this might be my favorite scene in the movie. This is the best scene in the movie by by far. To me, there were like two great sequences, but this is the best. Yeah. And by that, we're, we mean she gets home with the doll and she starts kind of talking to the doll, trying to get it to talk. And then it says, hi, my name's Chucky. And she's like, oh, like, I'm crazy. You know, it's, it's just a it's just a fucking doll. So she goes to the kitchen to pick up the box that the doll came in. And as she picks up the box, the batteries fall out of the box and she looks down at these batteries you can see it in her eyes and we as the audience are also like oh yeah that makes sense a doll like that would require batteries so she walks over to chucky lifts his back shirt and checks his battery compartment and they're not there but he spins his head around and again like says in his chucky voice i'm chucky you want to play and she drops him and he rolls under the couch and uh and it and it is a roll he doesn't just bounce under there there is a roll as if the doll is alive and consciously doing that because when she goes and reaches under the couch she's checking to see if he will move on his own before she actually grabs him Mm -hmm. so she's still not 100 percent sure what's going on yeah and then even this next line too is great where she's still trying so she picks him up from under the couch and she's trying to get him to talk and she lights a fire and she says if you don't talk to me i'm gonna throw you in the fire (laughs) <laughs> and then the real Brad Dourif voice comes out. The Charles Lee Ray voice comes out. And he goes, you dumb, stupid, bitch, slut, whore, whatever. He's just beating the shit out of her. And his whole yeah. face changes. Yeah, this entire scene is fantastic. This the, the, the reveal of the Brad Dourif voice in the doll is fantastic. And first of all, we haven't talked about this, but Brad Dourif's voice... I mean, it's kind of naturally intimidating. I I really like Brad Dourif as an actor. Mm -hmm. I think he's a great character actor. A lot of people might really, at this point now, only be familiar with him from Lord of the Rings because Mm -hmm. he's... Is it Wormtongue? Yeah, Grima Wormtongue. Worm something. Yeah. 
I mean, he's that. He's He was an Academy Award nominee for supporting actor for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's probably best known for the Child's Play movies, because he, especially because he stuck with that series throughout all of the sequels. Oh, did he really? Up until the remake. He's the MVP, because as those movies keep getting more ridiculous, he's still 100% committed to it, which which is pretty great. Brad Dourif yelling is frightening itself. He's got a really, really intense yell. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty intense actor overall. If you've seen The Exorcist 3, he's incredible in that. And mm-hmm. most of his scenes, he's just screaming. <laughs> it's great. But yeah, he's, he's such a fun, perfect voice for this doll because it completely doesn't match the look of the doll normally. <laughs> it yeah. goes with it goes with the scary faces he makes when he's, you know, in scenes like this. But it's also just, it's an intimidating voice. Yeah, it's all around a great performance by Brad Dourif. And also, uh, we didn't point out, but even, um, uh, what's his name, the kid who plays Andy is also pretty decent in the movie too. I don't think he's... Oh yeah, Alex Vincent, who That's I don't it, yeah. know if he... Did a whole lot other than, I mean, he's in Child's Play 2 and they brought him back for Cult of Chucky. They made two Chucky movies in the 2010s. I think Cult of Chucky was the Netflix one. He's in that. I don't know what he did between Child's Play 2 and that. But again, it's neat to see somebody stick by the series for as Mm -hmm. long as he did. And that really as a whole is what the Child's Play series was kind of all about, at least before the remake. So all of these Child's Play movies in the original series were written by one singular person, which is really fascinating because it's unlike really any other long-running horror franchise I can name except for Phantasm, I suppose. But that one person here is Don Mancini, who has, I think these are like the only, I could be wrong, but I think these are the only movies he's done. He's done a little bit of TV work here or there, but his career has been Chucky. And in this movie, he co-writes it with Tom Holland, who's the director who also directed Fright Night, which has Chris Sarandon in it, who is Detective Norris here. Mm-hmm. And he also, they also, their other co-writer, I think was John Lafia, who I think directed Child's Play 2, but I'm not certain of that. Yeah, so Karen and, and, and Chucky tussle, and at one point, while Karen's holding him, Chucky bites her. Then he essentially escapes from the apartment, down the elevator. Karen, not knowing what else to do, she runs to Detective Norris to tell him about the doll. And he doesn't really believe her. And She shows the bite mark, of course. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, well, where'd you get that from? And she says something like, Chucky gave it to me. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But she wants to go talk to this bum that she bought the doll off of in like this alleyway behind her department store. And Detective Noor says, you can't go down there this time of night. That's not that's not safe. So but she goes down anyways. And and I would like to point out where she's traversing through in Chicago is absolutely not a bad part of town. It's it's like right on the river. <laughs> that stuff's like oh. super wealthy there and everything. <laughs> so we got all that. <laughs> but but she eventually movie. does come to like an alley where the bomb is. Right. Yeah. That, that pretty much is an alley. I don't think that's on the river. Yeah. Well, the best part about this is it's is it's, it's like a whole bum encampment. But she finds this guy, and she's trying to get information out of him, and he tries to rape her. Detective Norris shows up, beats him up, and scares all the other bums away. And he he eventually gets the information out of him. And it turns out that this bum stole the doll from a quote-unquote burned-out toy store a while back, which is the toy store at the beginning of the movie that got struck by lightning and where Brad Dourif was killed and put his soul into Chucky. Detective Norris is kind of... I mean, I don't really know how to had to read his character at this point but i think he's kind of shaken by this because he drops karen off at home and says like get out of my car get out of here 
and he goes. Well, to and the he station. also he also reveals to Karen that he's the guy that killed Charles Lee Ray. Yes, yeah, that he was. But you're right; he's not full. He's not on board with Charles Lee Ray is Chucky yet. I, mm-hmm. I, he doesn't really know how to feel, but he feels something. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. Well, he feels a, a choking sensation around his neck once Charles himself pops up in the back seat with like jumper cables and tries to strangle him. And this also leads to a great scene where I mentioned earlier there's two great sequences. This to me is the second best. And still I found myself chuckling throughout the entire thing. And it's it's actually pretty scary. It's pretty intense, but again, there's like dolls attacking people. Is there's something inherently funny about it. You can't really get around that sometimes. Well, and it's also kind of cartoony too because eventually Detective Norris gets Chucky off his back with a with a hot cigarette lighter from the car and Chucky just starts stabbing through the seat at the detective yeah. and he's kind of like dodging all of these like We have stabs. the obligatory almost got him in the crotch shot. Exactly, you know? yeah. That's yeah. in like every movie with things like this. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part of this scene I have two favorite parts of the scene, I guess. I like one when he takes the cigarette lighter in that one shot where it hits him. You can like see some plastic burning. Yeah. Which is a really cool, really neat effect. I, you would call it a makeup effect were it a person, but it's just a doll. So I guess it's just a special effect. And then I also like when uh, part of the pedal on the brake breaks off. Because this is all, he's driving the entire time while this mm. is happening. And Norris is trying to step on the brakes. And Chucky just leans over and and, and puts his weight on, on the gas pedal, which is <laughs> yeah. great. Which is yeah. just really fun. Yeah, it's, it's a great scene. Unfortunately, even though it's great, it eventually comes to an end with the detective's car flipping over because Chucky won't get off the gas. And I don't really know why he did it, but I really like the scene. Chucky kind of scares. This is, I think, the I guess it's only really the second time in the movie that you see Chucky moving, moving, and he stabs the doorframe next to the detective and then runs around the car (laughs) a few times. There's, in one of these shots, it's definitely a little person. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's the shot, like, yeah, there's a shot where he's, like, running in front of the car and he pulls his gun out, and you can see just, like, the way the legs are moving, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's not puppetry. Yeah. Eventually, I also do. So this this leads into another great thing I love about this movie. Essentially, the detective scares Chucky off by blowing him in the chest (laughs) with his magnum. And uh, Chucky runs away. The best part of that shot is how great the doll looks flying backwards. Oh, yeah. And that shows up later in the movie, too. That's fantastic. And, like, all these action shots with the doll look so great. Like, I know it's just Mm -hmm. a doll, but they all look so great. And, and also, uh, one one of the highlights of this series is how much abuse Chucky goes through <laughs> in every form. Because he's more or less, I mean, I think he's kind of like a different doll every time. Well, he's definitely a different doll in the second one because we see what happens to him in this. But yeah. he just, like, each iteration of him just gets beaten to shreds it's great he gets <laughs> shot and there, he bleeds first of all we haven't brought that up yeah and then he get he gets his face ripped off in child's play three it's there's some great stuff yeah well and again the other interesting thing about this scene is that up to this point we think chucky's indestructible and i think even at one point he says to the detective while he's on the ground upside down he says you can't kill me like i'm invincible or something like that or i'm he says something yeah, like invincible that. or immortal something like that yeah so he blows him away with this magnum and then we learn almost immediately after this that Lee Ray was super into voodoo stuff because Karen goes to his apartment and his walls are just covered in this voodoo uh, murals. While she's doing that, Detective Norris discovers that uh, Lee Ray was in contact with like this, I forget his name, but he's, he was like this voodoo guy. 
that yeah, we raised to go see. Yeah, he had some kind of voodoo associate, which yeah. I think we've all been there. <laughs> so, cuts to Chucky on the counter of this voodoo guy's apartment. I really like this scene because this voodoo guy is like, oh my god, you know, you're 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 inside a doll, and we learn that. Chucky does actually feel pain, and it seems like he's, he is bleeding. He said, look, there's even blood here, and that the longer he stays in the doll's body, the more human he becomes. Right. So the implication is that at the beginning, when he's first a doll, he wouldn't have felt pain. Mm-hmm. You know, when um, the babysitter's pulling him around by the arm. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. otherwise, that would probably be pretty painful. But at this point, yeah, he feels pain. This is also, this scene is our most uninterrupted we get so far of moving chucky yeah puppetry and everything and it looks pretty good i mean it's not perfect but i think it's as good as you're going to make this doll look you know yeah and there's a good shot where when he's on the counter i think he puts his hand down on the counter to sit down oh that was great yeah yeah it looked great yeah so chucky asks this voodoo guy how to get his soul out of the doll and if it's possible and he says and he, he's not going to help him. And then Chucky pulls out this like voodoo doll and starts breaking this guy's limbs. And he eventually does tell him to get your soul out of that doll's body. You have to transfer your soul into the body of the person that you first told you were alive. Yeah, the fir- first person you revealed your true identity to. That's it, And so yeah. that in this case is Andy. Yeah. And then Chucky has one of the more disturbing lines of the movie and perhaps of 80s cinema more generally. He says... I've got a date with a six-year-old boy. <laughs> you know, like... So eventually Chucky kills this his, his voodoo master, his voodoo sensei, and Karen... Well, he's, he's still alive when Karen and yes, yeah. Morris show up, but he's almost dead. He's, he's on the brink of death, and he tells him, he's like, protect the boy. So they realize he that He also Chucky's... says to kill Chucky, you have to kill his heart. Yes, yeah. Karen and Norris are on their way to this psychiatric hospital where Andy is, but Chucky's already beaten them there. And there's a great shot where Andy looks out the window and he sees Chucky on like the stairs below and he starts crying for this doctor. He's like, please, please help me, help me. Chucky's going to come in and kill me. He's going to kill me. And the doctor doesn't believe him. And this is great acting by this kid because he just starts weeping and he, he slinks to the back corner of the room and slides down against the door. But, you know, uh, eventually Chucky gets into the hospital and tries to... I'm not sure if he's trying to, like, actually transfer into Andy's body or, like... Because he's got a knife. It looks like he's just going to kill him. And then... Or, like, I guess that's part of this ritual, maybe? I don't know. No, he's got to, like, knock him out or something. Have him on the ground so he can do that. We see that later. So, eventually, Chucky chases Andy out of this mental hospital room because he steals the keys. And they wind up in, like, this surgery room where this doctor man, this, this... non-believer of the powers and movement of Chucky is trying to calm Andy down. Chucky stabs him in the back of the leg and throws what is it like like a not an electrode thing but it's essentially like one of those harnesses that throws electrical pulses through your head that they used to use in insane asylums. It's what the Kennedys did to their sister. (laughs) Yeah that's exactly it yeah. (laughs) People don't uh... forget. But that's also a great shot, too, where the doctor's being electrocuted on the floor and his face is slowly turning blacker and blacker and then, like, he's bleeding in the mouth and from the eyes and it's all just disgusting and really neat. But I guess while that's going on, Andy escapes and Chucky escapes and when Karen and Detective Norris show up, Karen was apparently talking to a little girl and she's like, Chucky apparently was here. Andy's not, though, but I've always told him if anything's wrong, if anything happens, go straight home and there's a key under the mat so he can get in. So... Andy runs back to the apartment, Chucky's in hot pursuit, comes down the fireplace, and starts essentially terrorizing Andy. 
until this scene had me really wondering i guess i was wondering earlier but i have i confess i have no idea how fireplaces work in apartment buildings well yeah does I everybody want... share the same chimney that I doesn't know. seem possible to, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know different chimneys right i guess so but how many freaking chimneys are in this building I know. and again this is a really nice apartment for a single mother oh absolutely yeah in chicago it's huge and gorgeous with a fireplace come on and old because the elevator is the classic like uh inside like the hallways and the elevator and stuff that reminded me of that building in blade runner but it's like this elevator where it's not enclosed it can see the elevator shaft anywhere you are yeah it's it's beautiful i mean i'd live in a place like that in a heartbeat apparently just be a single mother and you can afford it (laughs) but anyways yeah so chucky gets into the apartment and essentially terrorizes andy and he knocks him out with a with a small baseball bat like a toy like an actual wooden toy bat what's up with all these actual toys being like real things like a like a toy bat is a real wooden bat a toy hammer well no no i mean i mean you have you have mini bats which are wood yeah Yeah. but yeah so uh chucky knocks andy out with this bat and he starts performing this voodoo ritual on him to to transfer his soul into andy's body but just as it's about to end karen and detective norris bust in and stop the ritual and after some more tussling chucky knocks out detective norris and then chases Karen and Andy around. But then Karen traps him in the fireplace and turns the gas on. She calls Andy over and he lights a match and burns Chucky alive. And then the movie's over. And this is, a- Andy gets a nice little badass moment here. Because he does, yeah. He's the one who lights the match. And Chucky, it's still Brad Dourif's voice, but he backs away from the threatening Brad Dourif to the more, the soft-spoken Brad Dourif. And he's like, Andy, we're friends to the end, remember? And then Andy's like, this is the end, friend. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah the, little kid, the little kid got his action movie one-liner. It's yeah, great. yeah. Then Chucky busts out of the fireplace while he's on fire and crawls across some furniture and then dies. But then... As Andy's back in the kitchen, he realizes the burnt corpse of Chucky is gone. So he's not dead. So Chucky then continues to attack Detective Norris and Karen and Andy. And he's absolutely disgusting. He's charred. He's melted. He's got one eye open. You can sort of see Oh, yeah. Again, the effects, it just looks so cool. Again, were this a human and not a puppet or an animatronic we would say this is just incredible makeup because yeah. it looks so different from the doll before but you can still see the resemblance in a way but i mean it, it, it's great and then there's this great shot right near the end where he's walking down the hallway to andy and karen and karen who i guess you know can't aim for chucky's heart she blows his head off and he's still walking and then she blows one of his arms off and he's still walking and then she blows one of his feet off and he kind of falls over and he's just kind of still crawling and this all looks great. Everything looks great. And then she pumps two more rounds into him. And then the doll is seemingly dead. So as Andy and Karen and uh, Detective Norris are kind of recovering, Norris's, Norris's partner comes in. And you can see that all three of Who them... Who we haven't seen since the first crime scene, really. He, he was in the apartment earlier when they were looking at like the footprints and stuff. But I don't think we've really seen him since. I think he was in the... Uh, um, oh, yeah. He was probably there when they the were... Station interrogating andy or yeah. whatever yeah but anyway so he comes in he's like whoa what's 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 going on here what's so and norris is kind of telling him he's like it's this doll we were wrong andy was right the doll's alive the doll is like spread out all over the hallway don't touch him so what does he do he goes to the end of the hall picks up chucky's head brings it back into the room and he's like patting it and like smacking it and he's like see look it's just a doll it's just a doll and then chucky starts yelling kill them get them kill them you son of a bitch and his body comes through an air vent and starts strangling yeah. partner and he throws the body onto the ground and detective norris another great shot detective norris lines him up 
blows him away. Goes his bullet goes right through his heart. There's like blood splattered on the wall, and the, yeah. <laughs> and the body flies against the curtains on the back wall. And uh, that's it. Chucky's dead. And yeah, that's that's pretty much the end of the movie. Yeah, and the movie ends pretty much right there. There's not really any falling action. Everybody leaves, and Andy's still. In yeah, the the, room. the last shot is Andy looking back through the door. Yes, yeah, and, and it kind of freeze frames on that, and you know, so it basically ends in the same shot as The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's Godfather it. comparison two episodes in a row. This isn't going to happen <laughs> oh often. Oh my folks. god. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that's it. That's uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I kind of know your take on it, but I want to hear it anyways. What would you think of Chucky, Patrick? Well, yeah, no, uh, Child's Play is great. I mean, it's, well, Child's Play is very, very good. I don't, I think it's not quite great. I don't have it, you know, in my top tier of slasher movies. It's, it's, in, it's firmly in that second tier. It's the best slasher movie we've watched so far, you know, with its competition being the original Friday the 13th, Shocker, and Killer Workout. <laughs> better than all those i mean well killer workout obviously goes without saying but i mean it's good it has a couple of really really good sequences all the stuff early on before we start hearing brad duraf's voice through the doll is really good at subtlety like mm-hmm. when andy's going around chicago with the doll and like leaning in to hear what he has to say like that stuff's really creepy it's great as i mentioned earlier i was chuckling a bit throughout not because this movie's bad or, or or even that it's that funny like comedic it's just killer dolls they're hard to take seriously here and there you know this is yeah. as good an attempt at a serious hour and a half killer doll movie as as i believe there is mm-hmm. the best killer doll in media in my opinion living doll the episode of the twilight zone and that and that one's really good and that does something it's very different from child's play because child's play is an effects movie where we see the doll moving around and the doll is actively killing people yeah and that the doll just kind of threatens and doesn't really do anything doesn't move and so that story is more psychological here we have early on the story is kind of trying to be psychological with the kid except we don't really buy it being psychological because we know chucky is around because we see him albeit in the background you know messing around but yeah you know it's a good movie it's got a few issues a few moments a few scenes i think where it drags the um hospital escape scene Mm -hmm. i thought was kind of not that great i don't know what it is you know and and i want to say as as much as i like alex vincent playing andy there is a difference between scenes of him in danger and scenes of Catherine Hicks, who plays his mother, or Chris Sarandon, who plays Detective Norris, in danger. Those scenes, those scenes are just so much better acted and more convincing and more intense. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not going to hate on a kid actor; he did a fine job. But no, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, if they could have done the same intensity with a kid, I mean, yeah, it would have been great. I think one of the, my favorite scenes in the movie is probably Chucky's first kill, Maggie. I like oh, yeah, how that was scene. all set up and uh, and shot. And again, like I like how with this movie it was it was a really slow build up until we actually saw Chucky move around and, and until we got that Brad Dourif voice with the doll. And the the whole battery scene because that that I think you and I both agreed that was the best scene in the oh, movie yeah. too. Oh yeah, by far. But it, but part of the reason why it was so great was that there was a lot of build up to it. And you know too and I almost wish we I, I almost wish the opening was a little different where we didn't see Duriff doing like this weird voodoo stuff and, and clutching onto this doll. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm i not even sure what I'm trying to say, but it, it's it's almost like that would have been a really great twist 
that battery scene would have yeah, been if, a really if great we didn't twist. know there was some kind of voodoo thing going yeah, into it. Yeah. Because even though we don't know exactly what the whole chant is, we know there's something going on. I, I see yeah. what you mean. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that would be better or if it wouldn't make much of a difference. I'm not sure. Because you and I both agreed the opening scene is really exciting. Yep. But yeah, this is a movie I've mentioned a number of times. The effects are fantastic. There's some great stunts. There's not a lot of them, but I'm thinking stuntman opening scene the detective norris getting blown through the air with an explosion <laughs> yeah and then also is it maggie oh uh, yeah yeah falling through the window yeah maggie being thrown from the window like those are some really cool looking stunts patrick all the stunts with the doll they were all great <laughs> everyone <laughs> they are i just don't know if you can call them stunts if it's just, if you're just throwing a dollar on, exactly, you know? yeah. <laughs> but no I, I i thoroughly enjoyed this movie um I also, I also, another scene I didn't like so much, not to be negative on a movie that I did like, but the whole Norris's partner coming in and just messing yeah. around with the doll. Like, I, I get it. You want, like, the doll to keep coming back. You can do that without the guy there. You don't mm-hmm. need him, and then you don't need that drawn out of a false ending. Yeah, I agree. plus uh, plus that 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 uh, partner, he has like some line after they blow the doll up. Uh, Norris is like, "Now do you believe me?" And he's like, "Yeah, but who's gonna believe my neck or something?" And it's like, "What?" Yeah, what is he's that like, "Who's line? gonna believe me?" And he removes his hand from his neck, and there's like a big yeah, yeah, and, and it's like, "Why are we giving this guy one of the last <laughs> like the penultimate line of the movie?" <laughs> pretty yeah. much, and it's like this. I don't know. I I just very minor complaint because this is a very good movie yeah i mean i'm i'm gonna agree with you on that minor complaint my only other complaint i would have about it is the scene where karen goes to talk to the bum about where he got the doll from i mean like i don't know there's just something i it almost didn't need to like the scene the way it played out almost didn't need to happen like that like she could have just approached him with detective norris i mean because there's really no reason why they went separately other oh, than her I, being a headstrong mother, you know? And um, then she almost gets raped, and then Norris comes in, like, the uber good guy, and he's like, ah, oh, stop right. it, you crazy bum. Get out of here, and I'm going to kick you in the nuts, and now tell me what I want to know. And that's that's my only other complaint. I mean, other than that, I, uh, I love Child's Play. I think it's a great movie. So that's Child's Play, the first of many in a series. And now we've got a solid one-off movie called Spider Baby, though there is an off, off, off Broadway musical version of this, believe it or not. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> okay, so this this movie comes out in 1967 68. Mm-hmm. It is classic drive-in exploitation type stuff. It's a horror comedy. It's pretty freaking shocking for when it came out i would think there's implied rape implied cannibalism implied incest or almost incest oh no no I- incest is is explicitly said <laughs> well well yeah they're all inbred but I'm, I'm talking about with the anyways we'll get into this but yeah so this this oh, movie I see is what you're saying. Um, okay yes yeah yeah this movie is it's something else this is this is a pretty unique movie since this is the less popular of the two that we're doing this time and since i know you hadn't seen this before i want to start off with jim initial thoughts on spider baby well i don't know how to say you know i'll say i'll say it like this i was in intru- i was interested and intrigued by it i i don't really know if i liked it but it's definitely a different movie and I know that it's supposed to oh, be yeah. a horror comedy, and I I get the horror, and I get what's supposed to be funny. Let's put it that way. Okay, there was one one scene that was very funny for me that that we'll get to, but well, I mean, yeah, uh, there's yeah. definitely a few scenes I I kind of chuckled at, but I think I was just put off by a lot of the familial stuff and this and this weird kind of 
backstory to the family. Okay. And just the way everybody acted. It was just, I don't know, it put me on edge or something. All right. Well, if you're not familiar with this movie, and this is, movie isn't super well known, so there's a decent chance you aren't as the listener, I'm going to make a comparison to a filmmaker who you're probably less in, um, familiar with, and that's, I think this movie is kind of, this is like a good version of a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. Herschel Gordon Lewis is credited with being like the first splatter film director. He was doing stuff in the 60s, a little bit in the 70s too. He's an exploitation great, but his movies are absolutely terrible. Like he's <laughs> he's an awful director and his movies are very very poorly acted. I mean, he's not quite Ed Wood levels of bad, but mm. he's I would say closer to that than this movie is. And his movies are were like really shocking for the time. There was nudity in them back in the early '60s when you weren't doing nudity and stuff. And they're really violent and disgusting. And movies about cannibalism. It's kind of what's going on here. It's just this is a better script and with better actors. We're late '60s. We've got independent movie, independent drive-in type movie. And it's got two actors that I'm very familiar with. So that right off the bat is kind of like, oh, okay, there was some talent here. And those two actors, of course, are Lon Chaney Jr., mm-hmm. a.k.a. The Wolfman, a.k.a. that one guy from High Noon who just sits <laughs> in a chair the entire movie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then we also have Sid Haig, who plays Ralph. And Sid Haig is, well, one, apparently he was always bald. Like, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't, you know... I didn't know because I didn't know about that. Like I've seen him pop up in movies like as early as like the 80s and he's bald and and then. But Sid Haig went on to be like a horror icon, probably biggest in the 2000s because he had those Rob Zombie movies, House of 1000 Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. That's probably his signature role, but no offense to Rob Zombie, but I think this is probably his best movie, at least that I've seen. And this is also probably the last really I'm kind of guessing here, but this is probably the last really good role for Lon Chaney Jr. It's a good movie, but I mean, look at Chaney. He looks old and washed yeah. up, and yeah. he probably didn't make too many movies after this. I, I don't want to say he was the best actor in the movie. and I mean, I, I, I think I enjoyed him the most. I think everyone's pretty good in this, well, actually. I'll, yeah, I, and I, I think, but I was going to um, say, the, for the most part, everybody's The good. siblings are all really good. Yes. The only person I'm kind of iffy about, but I enjoyed his character, was uh, Mr. Schlocker, the lawyer. Oh, yeah, that's probably, with the Hitler mustache, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the worst <laughs> <Yeah>. performance. <laughs> it is a Hitler mustache. That yeah. I, I have a feeling that's supposed to be a joke. That's that's. Be, right? I had a feeling that it was supposed to look like Hitler for whatever reason. I don't know the reasoning behind it, but anyways, a tiny bit of backstory on Spider-Baby. So the director of this film, Jack Hill, is still alive, which is pretty impressive. I mean, we just lost Sid Haig in 2019, maybe 2018. Mm-hmm. I believe it was recently. But Jack Hill was born in 33. He's still around, alive. I don't know. You know, he's. I'm sure he's retired. So that puts him in, in about his mid-30s when he's making this movie, which, you know, he's pretty young for a director. Not prodigy young, but relatively young. And I bring him up and bring up that he's still alive because he started a website for this movie. A few years ago, 10 years ago, maybe. It's, it's uh, for those of you interested, it's spiderbabyonline.com. And it I'm has information it right about the cast, the characters. It has information on the musical that was made in, I don't know, the 90s, the 2000s. I'm not really sure. Uh, so worth checking out if you're a spider baby aficionado, which doesn't sound like you are, Jim. But <laughs> Guilty as charged. Let's get started with Spider Baby. 
So Spider Baby opens with what I will call a perfect theme song. And I'm saying perfect not because it's a great song. It's not. It's weird and stupid. Reminds me a bit of the Batman theme. It's perfect tonally. It encapsulates what this movie is. It's a little creepy and it's very campy. And the lyrics are pretty messed up. There's references to cannibalism, cannibal orgies, which I'm not sure if that's an actual orgy or maybe just an elaborate cannibal meal. I don't know. But yeah, and, and the the song is sung slash it's more of a talking singing by Lon Chaney Jr. So oh. perhaps his only hit on the Billboard charts, Lon Chaney Jr. <laughs> But what did you think of the theme? Let's start off. It's no shocker, but I thought no, it was No, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. It was really catchy. So catchy, uh, I listened to it about three or four times before actually watching the movie. There's, I, I think it's at the very end, isn't it, where the opening song ends with, this is Spider Baby or the maddest tale ever told or the maddest story. Yeah, it has a maddest told. story ever told, I think is like the alternate title here. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, it fit in with the song, everything. The music's by Ronald Stein, and I assume he did the song also because that song shows up in the score later on in the movie. But Ronald Stein was a pretty, I don't know if I want to say great, but a prolific film score composer throughout the 50s and 60s. I looked him up dozens and dozens of like low-budget movies, horror, sci-fi, all throughout the 50s and 60s. Worked a lot with Roger Corman. I think it's a decent score. It's not spectacular. But anyways, after the theme and these uh, kind of the animated opening credits, which are which are very campy as well. Yeah. So after that theme and those opening credits were introduced to this disease called the Mary syndrome. This is a disease, presumably gone extinct, we're told, that only members of this specific family, the Mary family, had. And this disease itself is, it's a bit vague about what it does, but it's basically... It basically means humans with it regress mentally and socially. Mm-hmm. And we see it kind of represented at different stages with the three siblings, but yeah. it basically makes them sociopathic or, you know, or psychopathic. It makes them cannibals and it makes Ralph mute. And he's basically just the mental faculties of like a child, but a very large child, a large intimidating child. When we're learning about this disease, at first I thought, because I have written down on my notes, like Benjamin Button, when it's explained to us, we're told that it makes you regress mentally and physically until you become essentially an animal or something. I understand why they open it with this, but we actually see the disease better explained once we meet the characters, I think, than the actual explanation, oh, yeah, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. At any rate, a messenger arrives at the mary household which is very 1313 mockingbird lane looking house it's Mm -hmm. a creepy house and the messenger stops by to deliver something and is attacked by virginia who carries a couple of knives and she imagines that she's a spider (laughs) and she attacks him his he cuts she cuts off his ear (laughs) yeah and then her sister elizabeth is like oh you know bruno's not going to be happy with this and then Bruno arrives home. Bruno is Lon Chaney Jr. He brings with him Ralph, who is Sid Haig. Ralph is like lying down in the back seat because of the three siblings, Virginia, Elizabeth, and Ralph. Ralph is very clearly the most gone. And I kind of thought it went by age, like Ralph maybe being the oldest is the most yeah. regressed. Virginia's the second most gone, even though she actually looks like the youngest, but she's really weird and she's obsessed with spiders. She is the titular spider baby. Yep. I guess if that's, if my theory is correct, that would make Elizabeth the youngest and she's the most with it. She has 
somewhat of a conscience. She can kind of plan things out. She's pretty functioning. And then Bruno, who at first appears like he might be their father, but is actually just their caretaker. And we learn that he was maybe friends with their parents and with their father and, and promised to take care of them and make sure nothing bad ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. He was the family's chauffeur that got thrust into the role of caretaker. Yeah. Um, so when Bruno sees that the messenger's been killed, other than being disappointed in Virginia, he's disappointed in Elizabeth for letting it happen because she was supposed to be in charge. Bruno tells Virginia that she can't play Spider anymore, which is the <laughs> game that she plays when she stabs people with knives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we see we see later she also ties them up, you know, in a like a web type thing. So there's a lot of aspects to this game of Spider here. Yeah, it's actually a little confusing, to be honest, when we see it later. And I'm like, I know the outcome, but I don't know how this game is played. I don't understand. Well, it, it seems to have a couple variations on it. You know, it's <laughs> it's like you're playing basketball, but you can also play one-on-one. You can play two-on-two. You can play a game of 21, <laughs> which is different in Canada and the United States, by the way. I learned that. So the first real outsiders we meet... I'm going to go slowly here because there's two groups of two and it's a little confusing who's who at first because there's two distant cousins that might have some claim to the inheritance of the Mary family, which actually is a very wealthy family. I don't know how you make money with a disease like that, but it happened. (laughs) Anyways, two distant cousins arrive. It's Emily and it's Peter. Emily is played by Carol Omart, who I recognize from House on Haunted Hill. Peter is played by some guy. So they arrive, they're scared off by Ralph, but they're also waiting for someone else to arrive, and that's Mr. Schlocker, their lawyer. He arrives with Anne, his assistant, mm-hmm. and Bruno drives them, and we get a little bit of backstory. He explains that, you know, they're two, these kids, when they were kids, they weren't able to go to school. He says, you know, they're basically retarded, but he uses <laughs> that word. It's not my word. Not my word choice. Not my words, Lynn. The words of Top Gear magazine. another alan partridge reference there well this is the part actually where bruno describes the illness much better than the description at the beginning because he Mm -hmm. describes that or he he tells all of the four people in the house the new arrivals that the kids are essentially fine until late childhood probably Mm -hmm. around puberty then that's when their affliction essentially starts and they mentally regress into animals inhuman almost like cavemen Yeah, and we should also mention, of course, that they also have an aunt and uncle in the cellar (laughs) who are even more regressed than them. Although, to be honest, they don't seem that much worse than Ralph. Ralph's getting there. Ralph is almost cellar material at this point. Exactly, yeah. Well, and then also Bruno describes Well, Ralph sleeps in the dumbwaiter, I think. He does, yeah. (laughs) So so he's like halfway there. (laughs) Well, then, but Bruno also points out, because I also forgot to mention this, he says that their brain essentially rots and that they that they also become deformed. So whatever this sickness is, it not only does it make you crazy and animalistic and rots your brain, but it also makes you deformed and ugly. Oh, and he said, oh, this is the part, sorry, where he says that it's all from inbreeding, from the family inbreeding. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, Bruno hosts the four people, Emily and Peter and Schlocker. Mm-hmm. there for dinner they serve the most disgusting looking dinner imaginable it's <laughs> rabbit well is it rabbit though because we see ralph catching a cat and they, they say think it's, it's rabbit. rabbit peter says yeah. it's rabbit but bruno never says that it's rabbit but we do see ralph catching a cat elizabeth insists that they're all vegetarians because they don't eat dead things mm-hmm. 
So in addition to the rabbit slash cat, they also serve disgusting looking mushrooms and they serve <laughs> salad which is basically just weeds it looks like hay it looks like dried grass yeah <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it looks like yes yeah, so this scene's a lot of fun i mean yeah, it's I like disgusting it this is your indiana jones and the temple of doom monkey brain scene if you will <laughs> yeah <laughs> and because it is a gross out scene and in, in in 60s and black and white this is fairly gruesome but it's it's also a good scene because this is we get to see some character dynamics here peter starts taking a liking to Anne. they find that they have some common interests including horror movies they both mm-hmm. mention the wolfman which gets a reaction of course from bruno lon chaney jr which <laughs> i don't know how i feel about things like that like i was just watching an episode of the sopranos where the actor that played spider in goodfellas Mm -hmm. shoots a guy in the foot which is also what happens to him in goodfellas and then there's a line like i can't remember what the line is but it's like we don't need little nods like this it's distracting but anyways uh i also want to point it sucks (laughs) yeah but uh, i also want to point out about this scene too because as you pointed out the family and bruno said they're vegetarians and bruno also points out that perhaps their father i guess had more sense than he let on because he said or because the father thought that eating meat hastened the progress of the disease yeah as soon as peter and ann take some cat slash rabbit ralph reaches onto the table and starts eating the car <laughs> i like that yeah and i think it's schlock who says isn't he supposed to be vegetarian and uh Bruno and goes, they well, said yeah is. but he eats whatever he wants <laughs> <laughs> he eats he can eat anything he catches but yeah, another another way this scene is good too. I like Peter is far and away trying to be the most polite. Like everyone's <laughs> put off at least a little bit. Emily is basically not talking. Schlocker is probably the most confrontational. Like he's questioning like what are these mushrooms that you're serving me? And then he's about to eat them until until he learns that Virginia picked them and that she has an uncanny ability to pick the non-poisonous ones out versus the poisonous ones. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, Peter the entire time is trying to be polite. He's offering everybody food, and he's like, at least they're they're polite kids. And then, <laughs> and then that's when Ralph just takes the rabbit and starts eating it. <laughs> he takes the whole thing. I like that. I like this scene a lot. This scene's a lot of fun. As dinner kind of wraps up, Schlocker kills a spider that's on the table, and this gets a reaction, of course, from Virginia who wants to play spider though she doesn't just yet we'll see it later so at night so it's determined that peter and ann have hit it off they're going to an inn to a motel or a hotel or whatever and schlocker and emily are going to stay well because apparently there's not enough rooms apparently skeleton dad's taken up a room so that, <laughs> exactly <you> yeah know. <laughs> And then at night, Virginia and Elizabeth are both discussing how much they hate these guys, specifically Schlocker, I think. Because, again, Schlocker was the most confrontational, the rudest. He's got the Hitler mustache, which can't help. (laughs) Virginia says goodnight to her dad, who is revealed, of course, to be a skeleton. I already spoiled it. Sorry, folks. (laughs) And Schlocker starts wandering around the house just looking for things he's not really doing it i think he's just so like disturbed slash fascinated by this house he finds an ear in like a matchbox or something (laughs) which i assume is supposed to be the messenger but pretty sure it was a white ear and the messenger was a black dude so yeah i I was a little confused on that (laughs) bad prop or they kill a bunch of people probably the latter while this is happening emily starts just kind of changing in her room for no real like she's she's got this like smoking hot set of lingerie on and everything i mean yeah, <laughs> she's, yeah. And she's, like, on she's a just kind of like 
she's kind of like twirling around with this little like nightgown over it and yeah and this gets ralph's attention who gets out of his window which is the floor above and crawls down along the outside of the house and starts peeking in on her so schlocker wanders down to the basement and as he steps near the cellar he's attacked by the aunt and uncle who we don't really see we just see their arms so far and then he's confronted by virginia and elizabeth virginia's got i think like a uh, rake or well, no excuse me Virgi- virginia's got the two knives as she usually does and i think elizabeth's got like a rake or something yeah well, she's got a pitchfork but i want to point out that the pitchfork, framing of this it. scene is great because oh yeah they open the door to the basement and there's schlocker and he's like now listen here something's something's crazy here i i don't really understand what's going on but these two women are are silhouetted with this yeah. bright light from the yeah top this of the is stair. the best shot of the movie yeah, i agree yeah, and then they turn the light on. You see that Virginia's holding these two knives up to her chest. And and they both have these, they both let out these utter shrill cries. I'm like, get them! Yeah, because when they're in darkness, when they're in silhouette, you really cannot tell that they're holding weapons. So that no, is exactly. really neat. But you're right. And while, anyways, this this is the scene that really made me laugh. While they're attacking Schlocker, he's like, he's not pleading for his life so much as he's like talking about like legal proceedings. And exactly, he's like, no, yeah. there are ways to actually handle this. And stuff. <laughs> it's very silly, but I liked it. You know, Patrick, I'm going to be honest. I think at the beginning of this episode, I was a little too harsh. After reliving this movie with you, I think it's, I'm, I'm coming around on it. You say that like every time I explain a movie, you're always like, oh, this is better. And I'm like, no, you just like how I tell it. If you don't like the movie, just stick by your opinion. I don't know. I don't but know. But if you I, like it, that's listen, great because I think this is a good movie too. Listen, I got to watch it a third time. I'll get back to you. All right. So after they kill Schlocker, Elizabeth and Virginia are found out by Bruno. And right when they're saying like, oh, he won't find out, he sees them. He's actually not that upset with them this time. Mm -hmm. And he agrees with them that Schlocker sucked. But he also worries that there's going to be more people like Schlocker in the future. And he doesn't know how much longer he can really protect them from the outside world. And we don't know it yet, but in in his mind at this point, he's already got a plan of what to do. Because he kind of just takes off at this point. He goes to, like, run an errand. We don't really know what he's doing. He says, I'm going to go out and bring you guys a new toy. You just have to wait a bit. I'm going to bring you a new toy to play with. Right after Bruno leaves, this is when Emily hears something and she goes and looks at her window and it's Ralph still hanging upside down. She screams and she runs out and as she runs out of her room, that's when she notices uh, Virginia and Elizabeth disposing of Schlocker's body. So she takes off and she's running from the house with Virginia and Elizabeth in pursuit with their weapons. And but she's it's in, not... in lingerie and like... Yeah, a, she's like in the kind of the... Yeah, she's yeah. pretty risque looking for the 60s for sure. But it's not Virginia or Elizabeth that finds her. It's Ralph. And it's it's a quick scene, but it's implied that he rapes her. You know what I thought when I first saw it, I'll be honest with you? Because she's running through the woods and she's like escaping Virginia and Elizabeth. And then she runs directly into Ralph and he has his mouth open. And he's like, ah, and then they fall to the floor and we don't see it. And then Virginia goes, Yeah, hey, but there's Elizabeth. grunting and the stuff after that. Oh, there's, see, there's a little bit more to it than that. See, because when I first saw it, I thought he was eating her because he's allowed to eat anything he catches. Oh, yeah. I suppose, I mean, the grunting. There's, I mean, sex and food where you, George Costanza <laughs> understands the, the powerful connection of the two with his pastrami <laughs> sandwich. So... At this point in the night, Peter and Anne have found that there's no room at the inn. You know, we're recreating the Gospels here. So they turn turn around to head back. 
And for no real reason, Bruno almost crashes into them. That was a detail I didn't need. I wonder if it was just... For it's like just a, there. Like... I guess I guess we needed to see that Bruno was in a car, maybe? I don't know. Peter and Anne are coming back to the house, and they're going to say, like, okay, you know, we need a place to stay. Virginia and Elizabeth he- hear it, and they at first they think it's Bruno, but then they're like, no, that's not Bruno's car. It's going to be Uncle Peter, because they call him Uncle Peter. And they both kind of like Peter. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, they liked Anne because they were the two most polite at dinner, especially Peter, whereas Emily and Schlocker could not hold back their disgust. (laughs) So Peter and Anne arrive, and they're welcomed very creepily by Virginia and Elizabeth, who are kind of like holding their dresses up, and they're like, oh, come on in. But they, they tell them to be quiet, you know, implying that Emily and Schlocker are asleep. Elizabeth takes Anne up to the father's room, Whereas Virginia accompanies Peter. And as Anne enters their father's room, she's attacked by Ralph. Her mouth is held shut so she can't scream. And then, I don't know how we got this far, but Virginia is playing spider with Peter and managed to get him to be okay with tying her down, tying him down to a chair. (laughs) And this is, you know, classic, I don't realize I'm in a horror movie, even though the thousands of clues that are right in front of me. This is the almost incest I was talking about because she's pretty much seducing him when she's got him tied up. She's like sitting on his lap and it's really mm-hmm. seductive. It's really good performance by Jill Banner, the woman who plays Virginia. She's like creepy, but also super seductive. It's I don't know how to feel when I watch these scenes. I like that you brought that up because as soon as she pulls that on Peter, the whole dynamic of the scene changes and Peter realizes that like she really is crazy and that he's actually being tied to a chair and he's like hey so like uh okay yes yes i i, I like you too uh, virginia yes i think you're very and i like okay, spiders now, now get me out of this chair yeah exactly i like spiders and i like bugs or whatever he says she, she says something like i guess bugs don't like spiders and he's like bugs do like spiders bugs oh yeah cuz like he's spiders. the bug he's the bug here yeah. because he's in in the web and she's in the web, yeah. And she's about to come at him with her knives when she's stopped by Elizabeth, who wants her attention because Ralph has Anne in the basement now and is not letting go. And whatever they're trying to do with Anne, Ralph not cooperating. So Virginia's like, okay, this is what spiders do. They get their prey to be more delicious basically is what she's saying because she's like okay you know we've got to get the juices flowing and she takes a saw she's about to cut off Anne's foot and then this is probably the strangest part of the well I shouldn't say the strangest part this is the most like what are we doing part of the movie because (laughs) Emily wakes up you know in the grounds of the Mary estate it's a really weird it's a weird performance when she's waking up it's like she's waking up from like a happy dream you know what I mean? She's like stretches like, oh, and and I'm like, what well, are we doing? Does she like fall under the spell or something? Well, because again, going back to what I was saying earlier, I thought she'd been eaten. You know, and I don't know if that's the way you're supposed to take that. But again, that's certainly how I took it. So seeing her pop back up, I was like, oh, my God, she's still alive. But at this point, and we then, know she was raped at this point. Yeah, but yeah, but she sits up and she goes, oh, Ralph. And you're like, oh, she she got it good, I guess. And you're you're Uh, like, oh, did she enjoy that? What was that scene? But then, so she rushes back to the estate. 
And when she sees Ralph and the struggle that's going on between those four characters, she attacks Ralph. Mm-hmm. Even though the reaction was like, oh, Ralph, I'm so in love with you. Like, she wants to kill him. That's what that was. It's just a weird performance when she's waking up. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. That's yeah. what that was. Yeah, I think, and I almost think, like, I guess there's a certain level of just, you know, wanting revenge. That's a normal thing after something like this. But I think I think the implication also is that because she's not acting normal here when she comes into the house she ignores peter's cries for help and she just goes straight looking for them i think the implication is that some of the mary kind of aggression rubbed off on her yeah i don't know i'm not sure how to take that scene but i i'm I'm it's the it's the weirdest scene again not the weirdest scene necessarily because there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie but it's the most like uneven like that i'm not really sure what we're trying to accomplish here yeah but i i think she just wants revenge. I think that's what's going on. So anyways, she attacks Ralph. She ends up falling into the cellar where the aunt and uncle are. And she's attacked. And presumably eaten. Right. And then this is when Bruno comes in. And Bruno's got his big thing of dynamite. But at this point, Anne has gotten free. So Anne, Anne and Peter escape. And Bruno's here with his dynamite. And he's telling Virginia and Elizabeth, now this is a new toy. What's going to happen is there's going to be a big boom and like a bright light or something and they're really excited and then so peter and ann are running they're outside now and this is our this is also inside we get our first real true glimpses of the aunt and uncle and one of their faces is like completely covered in hair (laughs) and it's just whatever and then bruno just kind of detonates the dynamite and that's it at least for now that's kind of the end of this story but then we go back to kind of the opening scene where we were being read the mary syndrome details on and it's revealed to be peter reading this book on rare diseases and he says like okay so that was that was the mary syndrome it died off with this family and he reminds us that he's a distant relative so it didn't carry on with him and then he mentions that he and Anne are now married and they have a child the girl who's maybe about 10 or so 10 12 she goes outside and starts staring at the camera which is kind of unsettling and then she walks like up this little hill and we see what she's staring at and it's a spider and then it's classic the end and then a question mark pops up mm-hmm. so that's spider baby your thoughts yeah you know i'm I'm gonna even backtrack further on what i said halfway through us talking again this is the best movie i've ever seen you've convinced me <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm backtracking again to my original statement because you made me realize how confused I was by a lot of stuff. It's definitely an interesting movie. Did I enjoy it? I guess I guess I did. But it was neat. I, I liked a lot of the scenes. I definitely found some of the comedic parts funny. I mean, especially like my favorite scene was the whole dinner scene. Um, oh, that scene's great. My, I thought the funniest scene to me was when Schlocker was being killed. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, but then I mean like even like for horror elements... The part where Virginia and Elizabeth are on the stairs and then he flicks the light on and you see that they're holding weapons. That was great. The house, like the set itself, it, it was kind of schlocky. Like it was kind of jokey. Like it, was, it looked kind of like... Well, I, me- I mentioned the Munsters house. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost want to say it looked like a stage production. Like what a, like what a spooky house should look like on the inside. Like full of cobwebs and dust and dirt and grime. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just classic like haunted house yeah imagery yeah. i mean the house house isn't actually the house is not actually haunted but that's kind of what it looks like 
just it's I mean, just super run down. It's got rats. It's got spiders. Owls. Lots of spiders. It's got tarantulas. <laughs> oh, the owl scene. That that scene was great. Where that was, the owl scene was great because that was when Schlocker was just kind of wandering around the house, and he comes into this room, and there's like an owl like mounted on the wall. And then all of a sudden it moves its head and it starts making noise. And it's just like great because it does look like it's like a stuffed owl there. Yeah. Going back to your original question, I think I enjoyed watching the movie. But did I enjoy the movie? I don't know. I certainly enjoyed parts of it, but it was certainly interesting. I think I'll leave it at that for me. Okay. I like this movie. I like this movie a good deal. I think it's effectively funny in parts. It's not like laugh out loud like a joke a minute type thing that yeah. humor is different than that the humor is very silly at times the schlocker death scene <laughs> what he's saying is pretty darn funny but you know it's good and the movie is it makes you feel uncomfortable throughout basically oh, yeah. the entirety and that is just the story itself because the story there's some disturbing stuff going on despite all the more disturbing back in 1968 i'm sure mm-hmm. the performances too I mean, Sid Haig as Ralph is completely believable. Oh, like, yeah. you don't think yeah, for, for sure. one second that that guy's acting. He just comes off as this, like, weirdo. He's almost like an animal. He's got these big bulbous eyes and a bald head and very Oh, yeah, well, Sid Haig's kind of a weird-looking guy to begin with, to be perfectly honest. So this is kind of a great role for him. Yeah, his his is probably my favorite performance, even though I think all three of the siblings are great. And really, I think... I mentioned that scene with Carol Olmart as Emily, where it's like, what the hell is she doing? This is really weirdly acted. And then, you know, Schlockers. It's not not a great performance as Schlocker. Everyone else, I think, is really strong. Mm-hmm. The guy playing Peter is pretty good. Yeah. Virginia is creepy as hell. She's eating bugs throughout the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just creepy. Yeah, and then I, I like Elizabeth, too, as you can tell, like, She's crazy, but she's got more of a grasp on reality than her other two siblings. And yeah. she's like probably the most conflicted because of that. And then Lon Chaney Jr. is Lon Chaney Jr. You know, he looks old and washed up and it's almost sad seeing him here because he just looks so uh, miserly. But like, you know, he does a fine job with his part. There's a bit where you see him crying when he's talking to uh, Elizabeth and Virginia. Oh, yeah. They fed him hot sauce for that scene. Oh, did they really? I was going to no, say. No, I'm just making that oh, up. I don't <laughs> damn know. Damn it. <laughs> not again. You got me again. Um, I was just going to say, he's crying that he's in that movie. Like, that's not. He's no. Just like, Where's my career gone? <laughs> I don't, the dude was in The Indestructible Man. So that was Child's Play and Spider Baby. Which of the two, Jim, did you prefer? Well, uh, if it's not super obvious by my comments, I preferred Child's Play, but Spider Baby was definitely an interesting watch. How about you, Patrick? Yeah, this is a virtual tie for me. Again, this is more like a Frankenstein audition situation where, and in this case, I don't like either of these movies nearly as much as those two movies, but, you know, it's a virtual mm-hmm. tie for these guys. So I'm going to go with Spider Baby, just, just kind of on the grounds of, I haven't really seen other movies like this. You know, I, I mentioned the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, and sure, but this is a competent Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, and I've never <laughs> seen one of those. And then with the Child's Play, like, there's other Child's Play movies, some of which are actually pretty good. So, you know, because there's the uniqueness isn't there. Mm-hmm. And that's not the movie's fault, of course. But if I have to make a decision on which one I preferred watching, that's why I'm going with Spider Baby. Fair choice. So, Jim, how does this work in your eyes as a drive-in double feature? I actually think it works out pretty well. I think they both have, I mean, though their stories are vastly different, I think 
they both kind of carry these same themes in that in that comedy horror or horror comedy realm and i think that would make them a really good fit to be played alongside each other i just don't know which one i would want to come first and i'm thinking i think spider baby i'd want to see first in a drive-in because child's play is a little faster paced and like the things in it are a little more outrageous in terms of like effects and action and the things that comes out of the doll's mouth okay with the language and stuff yeah 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 yeah. there's no rape in child's play though uh yeah you're right but in anyways in response to that i'm going spider baby comes second and the reason being well first of all this is classic drive-in stuff this is the type of movie other than like 50 sci-fi that I think of when I think of drive-in, I think low budget, potentially disturbing as hell kind of stuff. And what you have here is, I first of all, I, I agree that this is a good double feature. Although I'm going to push back on Child's Play being kind of a horror comedy because even though I was chuckling a good deal, I really don't think it is. Mm-hmm. But these two movies consecutively, Child's Play is this horror movie that's pretty effectively scary and suspenseful and it has great effects. And it's got a great performance by Brad Dourif, mostly through voiceover. And then you get to Spider-Baby. And you're right, it is slower. Though it is slower, it's darker in its themes, even though it's more comedic than Child's Play. It's also a lot sillier. It's campier. Even Even though the original Child's Play has some camp to it, albeit perhaps unintentionally just by virtue of Killer Doll. But I but I do think these at any rate, these movies complement each other because they a, they're both pretty good. B, they're, you know, of the same genre with a slight comedic edge to them. More slight with Child's Play, more, more overt with Spider-Baby. So, yeah. yeah, I think they work well. For me, it was a tough choice for what to put first or second in my mind because there are so many things in Spider-Baby that are kind of like that midnight movie aspect. I yeah. will put it this way. Even though Child's Play is more violent and more graphic and has worse language, you know, Brad Dourif swearing Mm -hmm. up a storm and everything. I think I would rather have a child watch Child's Play than Spider-Baby. I think both movies are going to give them nightmares. I think if they're actually paying attention to Spider-Baby, it's going to be more disturbing to them. Although Child's Play is like tailor-made for children's nightmares, so maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting that you say that because... Yeah, I don't know, because I found, I found Spider-Baby less scary, I guess. Just more disturbing. Well, yeah, because, I mean, because it's older and, it, you know, a little campier, a little goofier. Well, yeah, I mean, I I really just found it disturbing and, like, all the familial stuff and... Yeah. And the eating Yeah, of I mean, incest, and... rape, cannibalism, yeah. be they implied or pretty overt, that stuff's more disturbing than anything in Child's Play, potentially. Yeah. Well, then when Chucky's face melts off and... And he's coming down the hallway. That I didn't. That was. That was I mean, that's just disgusting. You can kid, kids can take that. Kids <laughs> take can take it, that. Take shit. it, kid. No, we we need we need more. That's something that I really appreciate about Child's Play is that it's a movie for adults. It's an R-rated horror movie. Mm-hmm. But it's like only in the '80s could that type of thing appeal to kids. Even though it scared them out of their minds, it's like things like freddy krueger and chucky these guys had an impact on children and and you don't have you don't see the killers and the strangers you know doll face and those people having a big appeal with kids of 2008 you know but yeah i mean it's just really neat that they made a horror movie about a kid's toy you know and and that (laughs) that there's a kid in the movie as a kid you can place yourself in those shoes i guess i don't know Mm -hmm. 
It's really interesting. And unfortunately, no, I agree with you. I love that they made a movie about a killer children's toy. I think it's just unfortunate that it spawned, you know, Leprechaun and all this garbage. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Puppet Master, demonic toys, all that shit. So, folks, thanks for joining us this time around. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk about two movies, both with the word silent coincidentally in the title. And here's where I'm being completely honest, completely transparent. You know, you live and die by the random number generator sometimes, but sometimes you just (laughs) want to sneak a Christmas movie in there. So we are doing Silent Hill and Silent Night, Deadly Night, the Christmas I don't know how many pairs of quotation marks you need around the word classic for that one, but I'll, I'll say classic. Yeah. yeah, I'll agree with you, I guess. So please join us next time for, this is our silent movie episode, I guess. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, where we will be also featuring Mel Brooks's silent movie, as well as The Artist and um, <laughs> Stop it. Thief of Baghdad, Battleship uh. Potemkin. So anyways, Silent Hill and Silent Night, Deadly Night, one of the most controversial films ever made. And that one, actually, you don't need quotation marks around. That movie was legitimately (laughs) controversial. I don't know how much you know about that, Jim, but I'm sure we'll talk about it next time. I'm sure we will, yeah. And until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates. Our Twitter handle is at driveinpodcast, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to having you next time. I'm Patrick. And I'm Jim. Thanks for joining us.